We begin with this encouraging truth today on abounding grace. Paul says this, you can jot it down, let me read it to you in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, a letter that he wrote in the same prison. He said, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. The things that are going on in my life, whether I made the bad decision or someone else did, they're turning out for the furtherance of the gospel. God is in control and he is on the throne of your life and he will work things out in such a way that will bless him. This is amazing grace. As you look at the direction of so many in our world today, it really is a sad state of affairs. People by and large are living for themselves and embrace the sinful lifestyle, thinking it's no big deal. But the Christian is to stand out and be different. And by God's grace, we can and must. Hello friend, and thanks for joining us today for Abounding Grace. We're going through Romans and today we'll see what it says about who we are in Christ and how to be successful in our battle against sin. Make your way over to chapter six as we uncover how to live the victorious Christian life. See, whether it's of your own bad decisions or perhaps you find yourself a prisoner of a, an emotion or a feeling that someone else, it was someone else that brought it. It wasn't you, you were just walking with the Lord. You were just desiring to please him, but someone else's sin affected you. Now to the point, you feel like a prisoner and God would have us to step back today and pause and say, can you believe that you're a prisoner of Jesus Christ, that he wants to pull you out of what you're in today? He desires to work in your life. He desires you to be the kind of, clay that's moldable and, and easily shaped by his hands. Paul understood that whether it was his fault or someone else's fault, when he looked at prison, he said, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Oh yes, my ministry got me in trouble. Yes, I'm chained, but God is using it all. Even as God can use our bad mistakes for his glory, even as God can take the things that we have destroyed and refashion into something beautiful, even as God promised through the prophet of Joel, I'll restore to the years that were eaten up and destroyed. I can do that, God says. Too many Christians are prisoners of the wrong things for the wrong reasons, and others just kind of sit in that prison. Maybe it wasn't even, didn't have anything to do with them. Paul says this, you can jot it down. Let me read it to you in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, a letter that he wrote in the same prison. He said, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. The things that are going on in my life, whether I made the bad decision or someone else did, they're turning out for the furtherance of the gospel. God is in control and he is on the throne of your life. And he will work things out in such a way that will bless him as the blessings come through your life. And Paul is a special encouragement to us here. He's able to look at a difficult situation and say, you know, it's the furtherance of the gospel. That's what matters to me that the gospel is going forward because of my life and what's happening in my life. And it's a special encouragement to us because when things aren't going so good and when we feel imprisoned by this situation or that situation, when we're wondering what's going on, we can have the assurance that God is at work, that he is using it. 
We'll learn in a few studies in the future in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that God's working all things together for the good. That God is using it. And that's important for you to know, guys, because Satan is always attacking your faith and trust in God. He's always wanting to get our eyes off of Jesus Christ and onto the situation so that we'll start feeling things like God is mad at me or God doesn't love me anymore. Look at the mess that I'm in. Look at the prison that I'm in. And it's all God's fault. Satan's throwing those darts at you all the time. You realize that? Just shooting it at you one after another, one after another, that it's all God's fault. God is mad at you. God is punishing you. God wants you to really feel the pain of your bad decision. Listen, Jesus Christ took all the penalty and punishment for your sins upon himself. So therefore, when God, he turns to his children, he disciplines his children. He doesn't punish you. You may feel the weight of a bad decision and you feel it and it's heavy and it's hurtful. Be careful not to turn against God. Be careful not to think that God's holding out on you now, that there is no hope. I might as well just go right back into the world. I might as well just throw this away. See, whatever situation you're in, Whatever you're facing, whatever prison you think you're in or quite literally in, when you look at your circumstances from the eyes of God, it's not because of your hard-hearted boss that things are going the way they are. It's not because of your husband or your wife. It's not because you're a single and you don't have a mate yet. It's not because of your kids. It's wherever you are has been preordained by God and he's allowed it in your life to develop your faith and your trust in him. Or in one point, you might have been able to make the bills. This month, you're not able to make the bills so that you might cry out to God for help. Or this month, you might have really felt good, but that last month, you really felt bad, and God has allowed circumstances in your life so that you might come to that place where you cry out to him that he knows where you're at, and you become a prisoner of Jesus Christ, not a prisoner of circumstance. So that by the time we come to Romans chapter 6, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, that we no longer are slaves of sin. That's what the Bible says. The problem is sin is attractive. Sin is very attractive. It catches the eye. It tempts the mind. If it wasn't so attractive, we wouldn't be falling into that kind of junk. We wouldn't be running after it. Sin is attractive. Sin cuts right to the heart of our carnal nature, of who we are apart from God. It comes, shoots right there and says, come on. And unfortunately, too many say, oh, okay, I'll come on. Sin is so attractive. If it weren't so attractive, there wouldn't be any such thing as a temptation. Even though we're freed, there's that constant pull. There's that constant temptation. You see, whenever I find myself complaining against what's going on in my life, what's happening is I'm complaining against God who's allowed it. I'm complaining against God who is firmly in control of my life. So I might complain about this thing going on, but it's really against God. I might complain about that thing over there, but I'm really not happy with where God has me. I'm not content. Remember Israel when they were delivered from bondage in Egypt? They were slaves, quite literally. They were beaten and harassed and misused and mistreated. In their building, there would come times where they would even withhold supplies from them to make it harder for them. From sun up to sun down, they would work and they would work and they would work and they would work until God, he sees their plight and he raises up a man by the name of Moses. And Moses comes and he's the great deliverer. He delivers them out. What a momentous day in their lives. They are delivered from bondage. They have been delivered from slavery. They're gone. They're out of Egypt. God performs miracle after miracle, provides everything that they would need. And it's great. When you be excited to understand 
understand that and go, oh, I've been delivered, but they were delivered in such a way that even though they were taken out of Egypt, there was still a lot of Egypt in them. Even though they were delivered from Egypt, the Bible also says that there was a mixed multitude with them. There were a group of people with them that weren't as excited to be delivered as they should have been. And let me show you what happened. Flip back to Numbers chapter 11, way back in the beginning. Numbers chapter 11. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. And even though they were taken out of Egypt, so much of Egypt was still in them. And they got to the point, well, it's unbelievable. They wanted to go back. They wanted to go back to Egypt. They began to complain against Moses. They began to get upset with their faithful God. Look at Numbers chapter 11, verse 4. It says, The mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. Mark that word yielded. It was a decision that they made. They yielded to their intense cravings. They yielded themselves to their desires. They yielded themselves to the sinful desires to go back. Notice, not only what did they, the mixed multitude, but it says, so that the children of Israel wept again. Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt. You realize that's a lie, right? They didn't eat anything freely in Egypt. They weren't free. They ate the fish. It was probably the leftovers and the worst of the worst. And then they started thinking back because that's what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to start thinking back. He wants you to start missing some of the things that you think you're missing, that you're really not missing because they destroyed you and hurt you. And notice in verse five, it says, we remember the fish that we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers. You ever have an intense craving for cucumbers? <laughs> Maybe some of you uh, pregnant ladies, perhaps, I'll have some cucumbers and chocolate chip ice cream. Ugh. Cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic. I bet you they had some serious breath action going on, man. Here they are delivered. God provided to them what? Day after day, manna. God gave heavenly food to them to provide day after day. God was faithful in their life. God was giving them all that they need. Everything nutritionally that they needed was found in that manna. It was there every morning that God said it would be there. It nourished them every time they ate it. And here they are thinking back, Oh, I wish I had the cucumbers. I wish I had the fish. I wish I had the onions. I wish I had the slavery. I don't hear that. They've forgotten. They have forgotten. He says in verse six now, but now our whole being is dried up. Not true. There is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. The Bible says, Jesus does, that he is the true bread from heaven. That the manna that they were taking in was a picture, a type of Jesus Christ himself, that God satisfied the people every day, gave them what they needed, manna. They were probably getting tired of manna. I'm sure they were really creative with it. Made a little banana manna bread. <laughs> Stirred up a little manicotti. <laughs> you guys still with me? I just want to make sure. And they got tired of it. And because they got tired of the faithfulness of God, listen, they started thinking, you know, I wish I could go back. And they started talking everything about all the things that they could remember except how bad it was in slavery. They were enslaved. And what's really sad is that's what they're saying. We would rather be slaves again than be out here. My question is, why go back? There's nothing there for you. And that's what Satan does. He'll draw you. He wants to take you back. He wants to take that discontentment in your life that gets you to the place where you're not trusting God anymore. You don't like God anymore. You don't like where you're at anymore. And then he starts coming to you and he starts tempting you with your past. He says, you really miss your past, don't you? 
And if we're not careful, we'll start saying, oh yeah, I mean, a lot of things have changed in my life. I've given this up and I've turned from this and I'm starting to live for God. And he starts to say, well, the Bible's really boring, isn't it? Don't you wish it could be a little more exciting? Don't you wish you had a little, some things flashing up on the screen and make the Bible look, because the Bible's boring. Like you just got a faithful Bible study every week. That's all he does is teach you the Bible verse by verse by verse by verse. And if you're not careful, you start thinking, well, yeah, yeah, I, don't, I want some flash. I want some pizzazz. Where, where, are the, where are the lights, the camera, the action, the smoke, the fog? Come on, let's get excited. And it's just the word, isn't it? It's just the word. Even though when you were saved, the word was enough. You were just reading the Bible. You were just blown away that you understood anything. It was such a closed book before, wasn't it? I remember as a kid trying to read things in the Bible. I go, what is this all about? I didn't understand any of it because I didn't have eyes from the Holy Spirit. I didn't have ears from the Holy Spirit that now the enemy is going to say, well, you got that manna, that Bible study all the time, week after week, but you don't really like it, huh? You want to go back to the onions and the leeks and the melons and the world, the world. You want to go back to the world, don't you? And he'll come and he'll... He'll say, oh, Ed, come on. Don't you remember the party days, Ed? Don't you remember you were life of the party? Don't you remember you guys used to laugh and get drunk, get stoned? Wasn't it great? Don't you want to go back, Ed? Aren't you missing that, Ed? Don't you missing that? And then he fails to remind me of the horrible, horrible, horrible things that were done at my hands. I'd wake up in the morning and have no idea where I was the night before. I'd wonder, have I hurt anybody? Is there going to be a knock on the door from the authorities that I've done something bad? Who have I hurt? I would, I, would have, I would have such an intensity about the mistakes that I had made. And he may try to remind me of that party that night, but fail to remind me of that absolute disgust that I woke up with in the morning and all the people that I destroyed and all the worry of what might have happened. It even got to the point sometimes in my life where I was panicked, not having any idea what happened. Oh, but I'm the life of the party on the onions, the leeks. No, no, Jesus is my life. And living for him is the party, man. <laughs> and it is. It's a good thing to live for Jesus Christ, to be saved from sin. And some of you, that's the temptation's been thrown at you. Oh, don't you remember? Don't you want to go back? You know, they keep calling you. They keep inviting you. You have the desire. So just go for it because it won't be that bad now because now you're a Christian. No, it's actually going to be worse because now you're sinning against knowledge where in the past you might have sinned in ignorance. Now it's sinning against knowledge and that's not a good thing. It's so sad that we are saved from sin and death. But then when the temptation comes, we don't live that way. Satan will try to make certain things in your past look a lot bigger and better than they really were. Don't believe him. You've been freed from sin. Back in Romans now, chapter six, let's close down in this section. You're no longer slaves to sin, church. You have been freed from sin in Jesus Christ. You have a new life. You're a new creation. Look at verse seven now of Romans chapter six. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. Verse 10, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. And that is your new life. You and I, we get our directions from God. He's our master. He gives us direction. He says yes. He says no. He says left. He says right. We listen to him. And he, man, what a gracious, wonderful God he is to us. Showing such mercy and compassion. Revealing to us, not just from the outside, but from the inside out. You know, I am utterly amazed and stunned at how big of a knucklehead I can be. 
It shouldn't surprise me. That just means I'm thinking highly of myself. But God allowed things in my life to reveal that. So yesterday with my daughter, from the morning until the late afternoon, God really showed me. Well, he didn't really need to show me. He kind of convicted me of how I lost patience with her. She's just a little girl. You know, she's just doing her thing. And, and some of the decisions she made weren't good. And I, I could have been stern with her. I could have brought some discipline to her. But instead, I lose patience with her. And, and, and God, he's so gracious to me that it happened in the morning and then it happened again at night. So he, got, he gave me a couple bookends to show me what a knucklehead I am. And so in the morning, in the evening, and, and then I went to bed. I put her in bed and, and I didn't go through my regular routine with her or praying with her and reading the Bible. I just went to bed. I said, you know, the, and I had my reasons. I had everything. About, and I went to bed and then Marie said, what are you doing? And we went through it. So Marie went over, ministered to my daughter. And my daughter walks into my room just in tears. And I'm thinking, great. That's her tears. Her big crocodile tears are because of me. She says, daddy, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. And I said, you know, honey, I accept it. You made some mistakes. But what I need to do, and what has yet to happen, is, is I need to look at her and ask her for forgiveness. Because I lost patience with her. I decided to respond in the flesh. I decided to yield myself to something that's not edifying, something that's not helpful, something that's on that small scale. God is so good. He covers. He shows us great mercy. But see, so often, we're in the flesh and we don't even admit it. We blame it on someone else. And God, he says, listen, Ed, listen, in the battle for spiritual growth, he says, church, Calvary Chapel, listen, in the battle for spiritual growth, look at verse 11. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. You know, that term reckon is not from the South. It has a great deep meaning in the Greek. We're not all supposed to pick up a, a southern twang and say, I reckon the old man dead. No, no, no. It's, the word means you can circle it next to it. You could write next to it. It's an accounting term to consider something to be done. Reckon. Reckon what? Yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And maybe God's revealed to you some area of your flesh where it's time for you it's time for you to humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and let him lift you up that you can truly live in the freedom that God has given you. You are free from sin, guys. Sin has no longer has dominion over you. You can live a life that fully pleases God as he empowers you to do it. But you can also hold on to your own flesh. You can also hold on to your own attitudes. You can also, and I can also just dismiss everything and it's everyone else's fault. It's not me. It's not my heart. But the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's always reminding me and reminding you as well as God has given pastors and teachers to remind us of God's truth that the issue really is my heart. It's my heart. That spiritual growth in my life is me and my connection to Jesus Christ. And all these other things are coming to distract me from the reality that God, he's done a great work in me and through me. He wants me not only to know this, but then when I start to forget it, he wants me to reckon it, to consider it to be done. And a couple more words, if you want to read ahead, one of the advantages of studying through the Bible together is you can read ahead. There's a couple other words, a couple other phrases you want to keep your eyes open to. One of them is yield, and another is obey. And when you look at them in its entirety, knowing, reckoning, yielding, and obeying are powerful, powerful tools for the Christian to live a life that just overwhelms a community.
overwhelms a workplace, delivers you from the bondages that you're in, the prisons that you feel that you're in, the things that you've brought upon yourself that perhaps someone else has brought upon you. This is freedom, man. This is great stuff. This is powerful stuff. This is the kind of stuff that flip lives right side up in an instant, in a heartbeat. And you go, oh no, Pastor Ed, I, I can't get out from under it. Yank the internet out of your house. Oh no, because I run a business out of my house and I got all these reasons why I want internet pornography that I can't handle to come in my house. Rip it out. Oh no, Ed, I, I can't stop drinking. I've been learning that my whole life and, and I just wind down. It's just a winding down. But your wife was just in this week saying that you don't wind down, that you get violently drunk. Stay away from it. Make the choice to yield yourself to him. And we'll see that in future verses that God has delivered you. And I want you to see this as we close. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. You see, you can respond a couple different ways here, gang. You could say, hey, Ed doesn't understand. So he doesn't know. And I think that would be a mistake. Because our time together is not between you and I, it's between you and God, that God would use the words of his scripture. He would use the words and the directions of our Bible study to bring out in you areas where you can lay on the altar before him. You could respond to say, oh no, pastor, preacher, guy, that's not the truth, that's not gonna happen. But then you're failing to believe God's word. God's word says what it says, and it's true. The Bible says in Psalm 119 that God's word is settled in heaven. It's settled. And we might bring arguments to it, we might be wrestling with it, but it's settled, it's done, it's, it's true. Look at verse four of chapter 13 of, did I say 1 Corinthians or 2nd? 2nd is where it is. 2 Corinthians 13, verse four. Speaking of Jesus, for though he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God towards you. Examine yourselves as to whether you're in the faith. Prove yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you're disqualified? Listen, Jesus lived by the power of God. Now you and I live by the power of God. And he empowers to deliver, to free, to take us out from under the yoke of sin, to live a life that's not sinless. But I'll tell you what, as you walk day by day, you're gonna find one of the fruit of living for Jesus Christ empowered by his spirit is that you will sin less and you will see more victory and more strength and more joy. And you will find that as the world throws things at you and the enemy tempts you and the fiery darts continue to come your way, you're gonna be able to stand strong in Jesus Christ, who the Bible says always leads us in victory. He always does. So we wanna get behind him and follow Jesus, amen? We wanna walk in his victory. We wanna get out from under. You see, your marriage is in tatters. You're right on the edge right now. Your wife is upset. Your husband's upset because you have failed to release sin. And for whatever reason, you continue to hurt the people around you because you will simply not repent. You stand here today, listen, please. You sit here today, I stand here today, I've repented for the forgiveness of my sins and I believe that I'm saved. Well, do the same thing with the things that have been plaguing you and tripping you up. Repent and believe God that he'll deliver you from it and live a holy and a righteous life unto him. 
Hey, thanks for listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We're going and growing through a study of Romans right now. You can hear this message again online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen through either of our apps. Search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play. Maybe you're looking for a good book to go through as we begin a new year. Well, here in the month of January, we picked out an excellent one written by Warren Wiersbe. It ties in quite nicely to our current study, too. It's called On Being a Servant of God. Sometimes we lose sight of what ministry and service is all about as we get overwhelmed by the pressures and the needs that surround us. Be encouraged and strengthened by the wisdom that Warren Wiersbe shares in this easy-to-read book. We'll send you a copy when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Just call and ask for On Being a Servant of God. Our number is 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Abounding Grace is made possible through the generous support of our listeners. And as we begin another year of delivering God's Word one verse at a time, we're looking to our listeners for help. Together, we can reach people with the love and truth of Christ and make a difference in these last days. To make a secure donation, drop by AboundingGraceRadio.com or call 877-30-GRACE. Next time on Abounding Grace, we'll continue Pastor Ed Taylor's study of Romans. Thank you for listening today. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be set And be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from Romans. That's right here on Abounding Grace.